0: I bet some of you guys thought that uh, Case was going to actually do the teaching this morning. Brings my table up for you. appreciate him doing that. I'm getting old. You know, I can't, I can't be lifting this heavy table uh, anymore. So uh, just real quick announcement. Uh, we have our Connect class today. We've got 13 people registered, but there's still room for more. So even if you didn't register for that, you'd like to stay after this service for a couple hours, hear more about our church um, and what we're all about and why we do what we do, Um, it's also the class that you take if you're interested in membership, but you don't have to become a member. Um, But that's happening after the service, and uh, excited about that, looking forward to that. Also, real quick update, again, we don't talk a lot about money, but uh, we talked about the fact that we need to put a new uh, roof on our building, and uh, some people say, well, what's that got to do with our mission? Well, our mission is to see people come to Christ and help them grow in their faith and walking along with them, but we need a place to meet, right? And so um, drop ceilings are great. And they also um, hide leaks. And um, so we need to make sure this roof gets taken care of. So we, we needed to finish up that um, project um, cash-wise. And so we were shooting for about, we needed 20000 And we're halfway there. <laughs> so after two months, we're already halfway there. So, yeah. So thank the Lord. Um, thank you for being faithful to the Lord because we as members and regular that's that's our responsibility. Uh, and to take care of what God has given us. I'll also, be praying for three of our high school students. They're joining up with about 50 of the students down in Fremont. We've got a three or four day trip planned uh, that are leaving today. So, uh, Hagen's going to go down with them, so pray for him. Um, but they're going down to someplace near Columbus. It's a hunting lodge. So, my, I'm hoping it's not like, you know, the what's that movie? Um, Mocking the Kill. The, what is it? Hunger Games. I always think of Mockingbird. I had Mockingbird in my head. I said to kill a Mockingbird. Hopefully it's not a book. Anyways, yeah, so Hunger Games. That joke completely dropped because I couldn't remember the name of the... I should probably write these things down rather than just pull them off the top of my head. So let me ask you a couple questions. I start out this way quite a bit. Get us kind of thinking here. If you say, I have faith in God or faith... In Jesus Christ, are you saved? Don't I mean don't answer it. Just you kind of hear what I'm saying, think about it. Is everyone who says I'm a Christian going to heaven? So James is going to be answering those questions for us this morning. So we're going to be in James chapter 2, 14 through 18. It's page 1208, so feel free to turn there if you're using the Bible in the seat uh, there around you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about, then we're going to talk about what I'm talking about, and I'm going to tell you what we just got done talking about this morning. Because this is an important, uh, this, is, this is it. Uh, if we don't get this nailed down, this issue, we don't get anything nailed down for our future. So this is it. This is the crux. This is the pivot point. Um, and, and really, James has done some conversation here in chapter 1, but chapter 2, 14 through 26, this is it. We've got to nail this. And so, I want to clarify a couple things before we get into the passage, uh, and then we'll get into it and work through it. First of all, we have to understand this. James is writing to Christians. He's not writing to people who have not placed their faith in Christ. He's writing to people who have said or claimed that they have placed their faith in Christ. So, his purpose in this letter, and specifically in this passage, is not to say, how does somebody come to faith in Christ? He's saying, what does a life look like for a person who's placed their faith in Christ? Okay, So it's not, he's not saying this is what salvation is. He's saying what is the impact of somebody who is truly saved, which is the second point, faith. When he's talking about faith, he's th- talking about saving faith, faith that saves somebody from their sin, from the, the wrath of God, from an eternity spent in hell. So that's what he's talking about there. It's not just faith, you know, i got faith in my fellow man, or I have faith in a chair. It's faith in Christ. And his point is, that we're going to be finding out, is faith without works is dead. So faith, which we're going to talk about, without works, without evidence, is dead. It means nothing. And then uh, 20 through 26, he uses the word justified. And we have to understand this, that in the Bible, justified has two meanings. Two meanings. That would have been four meetings. Two meetings. One could be to declare, it's kind of a legal term, to declare someone not guilty. And so at that point in our lives where we understand that we're sinners and that if God doesn't do something to save us, that we're going to spend eternity in hell because we can't save ourselves. At that point that we understand that, and then we take a step of faith and say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. God, will you please forgive me of those sins? And then he places his Holy Spirit in us and gives us spiritual life. At that moment, God says, you are not guilty of your sins. And that means you've been justified by God. And by the way, it's often used in the past tense, which means that a person who places their faith in Christ, God says you are justified, and it's it's a one-and-done deal. If you truly place your faith in Christ, then you are justified. You are justified from that point forward all the way through eternity. You don't have to keep on asking God to forgive you of for your sins and, and that kind of thing. But it can also mean to show someone is right. It means to vindicate or approve what someone says or what someone believes is true. So to vindicate vindicate somebody. So we're going to be talking about, mainly, we're going to talk about that second description. So this discussion comes out of last week's passage, mainly chapter 2, verse 12 where James reminds us that God is going to judge or evaluate those who say, I'm a Christian, he's going to evaluate that based on the gospel. What he means by that is, a person who places their faith in Christ, that's the gospel, when you accept that message for yourself and you place your faith in Christ, there's going to be a change that naturally happens. It has to be, because God is the one who says you're declared not guilty. The Holy Spirit is the one who's in your life. And so the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to help you become more like Christ. So there's going to be a change if you've truly placed your faith in Christ. And so he says, now obviously, God knows everything, right? So he's not actually up there going, you know, judging, because he knows. So really, this is for us to go, okay, where am I at with this? Have I truly, I say I'm a Christian, some of you here may say you're a Christian, but are you really, have you truly placed your faith in Christ? Others of you say, no, I know I'm not a Christian, and, you know, I'm here to kind of figure, figure that out, and what's that mean? So great time for you all to be here, and great time for us who have placed our faith in Christ to be reminded of this stuff. And so it's a time for us to, to evaluate our, our, ourselves. Yep, yeah, woo! Evaluate ourselves. It's not time to nudge our spouse. not time to look down the aisle at our kids or look back up at our parents. not time to be looking around in the auditorium. Still in the 9 o'clock service, there was a guy at my home church growing up, and he always had his glasses like this. And he always sat down like, towards the front. And then he would do this. Oh, i got to get my phone out of here. Dur- during the entire service, Doing this, looking at everybody. Hey, buddy, hey, it's up there. That's what's all. You know, it's all happening up there. But he would do that every Sunday. So, of course, as you know, as kids, that's just we're all sitting, there, you know, making fun of the guy. Anyways, I mean, not making fun of him. Yeah, we were making fun of him. So this morning we're gonna see we're gonna see three things. First of all, words aren't evidence of saving faith. Secondly. Good doctrine isn't evidence of saving faith, but actions are evidence of saving faith. Not that works save us. God saves us through faith in Christ, but then there's going to be evidence that that relationship has happened, that there is something going on there of spiritual life. So we're going to to take these each section, we're going to read it, break it down, read it, break it down, read it, break it down. So let's read it before we break it down. All right. So he says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? In that faith, the one that has no works, save him. If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warned, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, that has no works, is dead, being by itself. So, God says, and again, from God's perspective, and he knows, so he's wanting us to evaluate, he says that words aren't evidence of saving faith. Well, why not? Well, the word use that he has there, that he talks about, means a gain, benefit, or profit. He says, what use is it? If someone says they have faith, but they have but they don't have any works. The answer in the Greek, the sentence structure would say, There's, it's useless. There is no benefit to it. There is no profit to it. Well, why is that? Well, because people can say anything they want to say, right? So, I'll give you an illustration. So, even if, if this is your first time with us, this would be re- really good. I'm a I'm a professional football player. Well you have to laugh at me. <laughs> Jeez. Because I'm a professional football player. I am. I I am a professional football player. Football, 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 football player. That's me. I am. I don't care. I am. Well, how does that get proved? Who's a football? Come here. Who's, who wants me to prove it? Oh. Here's a football. I'll tackle him. No. I'm obviously not a football player. And one of the great ways, besides the I mean, I know I'm physically fit and could be, <laughs> but one of the great ways to figure that out is that you turn a TV on in the fall and you're on, you know, I'm not there. I'm not even on the sideline. I'm not a professional footballer. No matter how many times I say it, how loud I say it, my words are useless because I'm not who I'm claiming to be. And it's evident in my life, despite my incredible physical prowess. Um, and again, you laugh. So James, then he uses an illustration. He says, for instance, if somebody comes to you and they need food and they need clothing... And you just say to them, Well, you go and be warmed and filled. That's useless, right? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't so no benefit to the person us saying that, and that's what he's saying. This just saying something for the sake of saying it, saying I have faith in God or I have faith in Jesus, just saying it is not evidence that a person has truly placed their faith in Christ, that they're truly saved. Well, what does God mean by faith and works? First of all, faith, I think we have it broken down up here. You can go to the next slide. So faith is a moral conviction of God's truthfulness. When a Bible talks about faith, it's primarily talking about that we have this moral conviction that, that God is true, that God is right, that what he teaches is true, especially as it pertains to our reliance on Christ for our salvation, believing that Jesus Christ... Died for our sins, and then he talks about works and, and works has this idea of toiling of effort it 's something that um, produces something in our lives, so you go off to work and whatever your job is, you produce something when you 're there, maybe on a computer or maybe on a piece of paper or maybe you know on the, on the ground or you know, foundation whatever you produce something if you don 't produce by the way, you might get let go but Unless you work for the government. I didn't mean it. So, anyways, but we will, there'll be our, some sort of something produced in our lives if we place our faith in Christ. So, faith in Jesus secures our relationship with God, secures our salvation. And then God forgives us of our sins and He places his Holy Spirit in us. And, his, and God, the Holy Spirit, is in us, and along with He and, and along with the Bible and the things that we're learning from the Bible, things that we learn at church, then that changes us. There's going to be something that is produced in our lives. It's going to be something that God produces in our lives. Why? Because that's what God does. God sent Christ to die, right? And so he wants to see people come to Christ for salvation. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to tell people about who Christ is, to to live a life that represents who he is. But then a, a person who has faith may push back. And maybe you've had this conversation. I know I've had this conversation. And it'll be, okay, so, uh, wait a second, but I do have faith. I, I believe God exists, or I believe Jesus Christ exists. And so James is going to have a conversation now. He's, we're going to look at it here in the next couple of verses. He's going to have a conversation with the person who says, I have faith in God. It's, it's written kind of strangely because it's, it's kind of a Jewish um literature in here, so I'm going to try to make it more clear for you, uh, if I can. Hopefully, ask the Lord to do that. So then he goes into the next thing, because now a person is going to say, hey, I have faith in God, I have faith in Jesus, I believe they exist. But someone, James is basically saying this is him talking about, but someone, the faith and works person, may well say, you, Mr. Faith-only person, have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so then the person says, well, no, what I mean is I I believe God exists. And so he says, you, faith-only person, believe God is one. You you believe that there is one God, that there's no other God but the God of the Bible, and, and you believe that? Well, you do well. That's great. Awesome. The demons also believe that. And they shudder. And so he's saying, you got good doctrine? awesome you got I mean that's the best doctrine right there right there's only one God that's like the epitome of doctrines you got that nailed great you're doing well but it doesn't mean that you're showing any kind of evidence of being saved of having saving faith it, it's not saving faith is not just believing that god exists or that even jesus exists it's not a it's not an intellectual understanding that there's a, a a designer of this world and universe that we have this great creator that we have the big man upstairs it's not even believing that a man called jesus existed and that he was even god it's, it's not good doctrine that saves you that's Necessary evidence of salvation. And then, so he gives us the example of the demons, which is a great example. Because here's the deal. Demons don't just believe. They don't have faith that God exists. They know God exists. We have to have faith. Because we've never, like, personally seen him. And so in a spiritual sense, right? The demons have dealt with him personally. They know. That he exists, but notice they're not saved. That's so why we call them demons. They follow Satan, and what's produced in their life? Fear. They shudder. You ever been so scared that you shake? I, I've been in a situation like that. It's just, it's, wow! I literally was shaking, and I was I was actually. The color drained. Not that I have a whole lot of color in my skin, but the pink was gone. I was, you know, really white. You know, type of thing. No, they they fear. That's that's the what's produced. And it's interesting because when you talk to somebody, um, and I don't mean any disrespect here, but if you talk to somebody who says I have faith in God, I believe God exists, or I believe Jesus exists, but there's not really any kind of evidence in their life. There should be some sort of evidence, right? If nothing else, they should fear. Like the demons, but they don't. They live as if God doesn't even exist. So it's an interesting contrast. So if just saying I have faith in God or faith in Jesus or, or having good doctrine, you know, I can I can tell you all about predestination and I can tell you about justification and sanctification and harmarthology and Christology and I gotta throw out those words and show that my college and masters stuff actually it. Those are big theological words. But having that all nailed down, being able to debate all that is an evidence that we are saved. So what does? Well, that's 20 through 26. Now, James is going to talk about this. He's going to bring this out for us. He's going to flesh it out using Abraham and a lady named Abraham or Rahab. He's going to go back into the Old Testament. These are Jewish readers. His original audience was a bunch of Jewish People who claim to have placed their faith in Christ, and so he's going to go back, and so we're going to read that starting right now. But are you willing to recognize you, foolish fellow? And foolish means um, empty or or ignorant. And again, not to be ignorant or mean, but ignorant. To, you know it just means you don't know, all right. And so this guy just doesn't know. He thinks he knows, but he doesn't know. That faith without works is useless. There it is again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? Wait, I thought you said salvation is by faith, not by works. There we go. You see that faith was working with his works. That word "working" there means to cooperate with. They're joining up as a team. Okay, and so his faith was cooperating with his works, and as a result, the works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected. It was completed. Not that he was perfect, but that what he said about his his uh, faith in God and what God said about his righteousness was demonstrated. It was completed. It happened. And the scripture was fulfilled, it says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It means to be to put into Abraham's spiritual account. So God gave Abraham, back in Genesis 15... God gave Abraham a bunch of promises. We won't get into the whole detail of it, but he gave him a bunch of promises. And Abraham said, God, I believe I am putting my full weight of trust in you that you are going to accomplish those promises in my life. And God says, based on that, I'm going to reckon to you, I'm going to credit to your life my righteousness. Because Abraham had no righteousness of his own, just like we don't. We can't save ourselves. And so God says, based on your faith, I'm going to give you righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Just saying you have faith, that's not one is justified. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot, which means a prostitute, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead. So remember, in the intro, we talked about the fact that justified has two meanings. So justified could mean declared not guilty for our sins, which happens at the point of salvation. Or it could mean to show someone is right or true, that a person who says I have faith in Christ is justified or shown to be true by what his life looks like, what is what he's doing, or what she is, how she is responding. Now, Paul usually uses the word justification in the sense of salvation. We see that a lot. But at least a couple times, he's used it in a sense of vindication, of showing what is true of someone's life. He does it Uh, about God, and he does it about Jesus Christ. He does it other times too, but I'm just picking out two that deal with God and with Jesus. And so in Romans chapter 3, he says, he has this argument going on. We're not going to worry about the argument. I just want to focus in on the word justified here. He says, may it never be. Rather, let God be found true. So how is God going to be found true? Though every man be found a liar, as is written, that you may be justified, the same words that we're looking at in James, which means shown true through actions. So how is he going to be found true? In your words and prevail when you are judged. How is God going to justify himself or to show himself true and right and a God of truth? It's through his words and through his actions. So God. But then in 1 Timothy, he talks about Jesus. And this is kind of cool. This is like a a hymn or a creed that the first century church used. It says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He, speaking of Jesus, who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated, which is that same word for justification. He was justified in the spirit. In other words, he was shown to be God through his actions. How do we know that God Jesus is God? How can we place our faith in, in him as God? Because he's shown it. Imagine if he didn't. Imagine if he came near and said, Yeah, I'm God, and entreated everybody else. The same way we all treat people. It was, you know, it was, what? Doesn't make any sense. No, he he justified, he was vindicated in how he lived his life. You've seen by angels proclaimed among nations, believed on in the world. And so, speaking of God and Jesus, he uses this term, this idea that they are vindicated, they're showing themselves to be true. What they've said is being found to be true. And so James first starts talking about Abraham, the father of Israel, and how this happened in his life. And so uh, Genesis 15.6, I think we have it. Yeah. So this is what it says back in Genesis 15.6, then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and and, uh, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So James quotes this passage. Again, he he believed God. He placed his faith in God and that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And that's what allowed God to say, you are righteous. You have my righteousness. You have been saved, if you want to use the New Testament term. You're not guilty. Throughout Abraham's life, that decision to trust in God was shown over and over and over again. Not perfectly. None of us are perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. He fell. If you read the story about Abraham, he did some dumb things, just like we do some dumb things. But, his life was consistently moving towards God and doing life God's way. It just so happens, James decides to pull out one of those events to show that, yes, his he was justified, he was vindicated in his faith. And that is when God said, hey, uh, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Now, again, I don't know if anybody has ever had God um, tell you, hey, sacrifice somebody in your family. If, you, if that happens, please come talk to me first, okay? Just... But man, if God said to me, Harold, sacrifice Hagen. Whoa, that's just and in an Abraham situation. Abraham, Isaac was the child of promise. It was that's his descendant. That's the one God said all these promises were going to happen. And so Abraham's like, I got to sacrifice Isaac, the one who. Okay, I'm going to trust you. Why? Because he's already made a decision in his path. He said, I'm going to trust you. I'm placing my faith in you. And he demonstrated that by. Doing what God called him to do, which was you know, kind of a crazy thing. Thank the Lord that we don't have to operate that way today. And so his life was one that was changed. Abraham, prior to coming to Christ or coming to to God, having actually prior to God coming to Abraham, because that's how it actually happened. Abraham didn't worship God. Abraham worshipped the God of his fathers. He he worshipped idols. He worshipped whoever and whatever they were worshipping at the time. And and then God showed up and said, hey, Abraham, I am the God, and, and I got something for you. You trust me? Yes, I trust you, okay? I'm going to give you my righteousness. And, and so his life changed. Well, then James decides to blow everyone's mind, and he brings up Rahab, of all people. Now, Rahab is Gentile. She's a non-Jew. She's like probably all of us, unless you have some Jewish blood in you. But we're all Gentiles. We're non-Jews. She was a non-Jew. But not only she was a non-Jew, she was a prostitute. All right, And just real quick, the story goes Israel's going to go into the land, promised land, after being in slavery in Egypt. God says, I've given you this land. They're going to go into the land. They're going to go in at Jericho. And so they go in, and the Jewish spies are thinking, well, we're going to go in, and we're going to talk to a prostitute, because those people in the City won't ever think that a Jewish person would go talk to a prostitute. You know, that's right? you know, kind of smart thinking on their part, which is interesting because the Gentiles knew how a faithful Jewish person who trusted in God would live their life. They knew better than maybe some Jewish people how they were supposed to live. But anyway, that's, that's besides the point. Anyway, so they go in, and they meet Rahab, this prostitute, and they, they hide out. She hides them out. And here's what she says. I know that the Lord, now that's Israel's personal name for God. God said, I will be your Lord. She uses Israel's personal name for God. It says something. I know that the Lord has given you the land, the promise that he gave Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and um, Moses. I know that God has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God is, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So Rahab evidently declared her faith in God. How do we know that? Because, I mean, you can read those words and, you know, okay, but she's got good doctrine. But how do we know? How does James know besides the fact that the Holy Spirit gave him that understanding when he wrote it? It was seen in the fact that she hid the Jewish spies. That they they were hidden, and when they came to look her, she sent them out to her window, her window, and they, they were able to get away. She she helped God's people. She demonstrated that she wasn't going to help her Jericho. She was going to help Israel because she had placed her faith in God. We also know, based on genealogy, that she's in the line of Christ. You look at Matthew chapter 1. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. So Rahab marries a Jewish guy. She, she like just puts herself into the Jewish nation. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. We did a series in Ruth last year or last fall. And Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse's the father of King David, and King David is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. And James is letting us know that she had made a statement of faith, and her life demonstrated that. If you remember back in the first, uh, first week, I asked this question, how do we know if someone's physically alive? So how do we know that? Well, the person is probably walking or can walk and talk. A person who's physically alive does physical things, and that makes complete logical sense, right? Because if a, if a person was not physically alive, they would be laying there dead, unable to do anything. Well, the same is true for a person who is spiritually alive, a person who has truly placed their faith in Christ. There will be some spiritual things happening in their life. I don't mean like walking on water, and you know, I mean there's going to be change in their life. They're become more and more like Christ. Just saying you have faith, that saying that you're saved, isn't evidence that you are truly saved having good doctrine, believing that God exists, that Jesus exists, God's saying, isn't evidence that you're truly saved. From God's perspective, and again, God knows all, and so from our evaluation, our point of evaluation, the one who is truly saved is the one who's going to be showing it. Works don't save us. But works show that we are saved. This change that whatever it is that God is going to produce in our lives, and it's going to, it's going to line up with what Scripture is, whatever he produces in our lives is going to show in how we think, and what we say, how we act. Our lives will be different. So here's the good news. No matter where you're at on this. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, or you're listening on a podcast and you're like, man, I don't, man, now you've been talking about this, maybe maybe I'm not saved. Or you're here this morning saying, yeah, I'm definitely not saved. That's why I'm here. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. Here's the good news. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you can correct that. You can change that. You can know for sure that you've placed your faith in Christ, And that God has forgiven you of your sins, that you have received His righteousness, as the Holy Spirit is in your life, and you have spiritual life. That can happen right here, right now, this morning. Which brings us to our takeaways. And as the band comes up, I just want to throw this out to you guys. First one is this First takeaway. So, evaluating God, help me understand where I'm at with this. Is your faith just words or good doctrine? Is that what you point to? Or is it a saving faith that is changing your life? Do you see changes? Changes in the way you think. Changes in the way you act. Changes in the way you respond. I'm not saying you're perfect. None of us are. But there's. I was talking to somebody this week, and they're talking about baby steps. They're making baby steps. Yes. Baby steps are fine. Because when we're spiritual babies, that's what we're going to have. New believers, they're, they're taking little steps. And then as they mature and grow and and then pretty soon they take bigger steps and maybe they even start running. That's what happens to us physically. It's kind of what happens to us spiritually as well. And secondly, going with that, if you're here this morning and you're not sure or you definitely know for sure that if you were to die today, what we want that to happen, if you were to die today, that you would not spend eternity with God in heaven, that God is not really part of your life. You may have even been saying that you're a Christian, but you realize today, oh man, I am, from God's perspective, I'm not. It's his definition. He's God. He came up with the idea of salvation. He knows what salvation is. We have to, we have to accept his definition. And so this morning, if you don't know for sure if you've placed your faith in Christ that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, then let's make this morning 6:13:21 the day. All I'll do is everybody just go ahead and close your eyes and. And I'm just going to pray a prayer that, that you can pray. And again, prayer is just talking to God. It's nothing weird or strange, you know, to stand on your head. It's just, just your heart to God's heart. If you're, even if you've been claiming to be a Christian for a long time or claiming that you've known God, that you believe God exists, if you've been claiming that, great, wonderful. Now put your faith in Him. Put your full weight of trust. Believe. Make it a saving faith just have this conversation with God to say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. And if you don't do anything, I will be separated from you for eternity. But God, I, I know that you exist. I believe that you exist. But more than that, I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ that when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in me now. Thank you for your righteousness. Help me to do life your way. Empower me to do that. In Christ's name, amen. keep your eyes closed.